You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Driving has been uh, perilous today in Vancouver. Yes, driving has been perilous for like the last week between our sub-zero temperatures and snow. And people who are outside of uh, the lower mainland are laughing at the people yeah. who- in Vancouver, Ooh, it's with minus snow. six. It's minus and eight. You have to understand we don't uh, we don't keep a whole uh, crew of uh, of people with graders and uh, snow removal equipment when it uh, snows maybe a couple times a year. It just doesn't make economic sense. Nope. So here we are. Uh, buses not capable of getting up hills and um, roads down to one lane and people driving at twenty kilometers an hour. And thank goodness it's between Christmas and New Year's because it is uh, not very busy. But now here we are, New Year's Eve. Next week, things sort of kick back into action. Yeah, I mean, I think Omicron is going to have a big dampening on things kicking back into action. We have most students will not be returning to K-12 for a week. That's going to impact stuff. I think it's going to be longer than that. Probably. I mean, I, I think the idea of the K-12 return is probably... Um, some of the teachers get sick and then hopefully can return after they've had Omicron. Because right now we know that there's a number of at least Vancouver police officers who are have Omicron. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, today's numbers, uh, of course, this is the Thursday before uh, New Year's Eve. Um, the uh, number of... Uh, of uh, People with uh, diagnosed COVID in BC is forty three hundred twi- plus. Twice our twice our former high number. So yep, um, these are scary times, and uh, they're going to be short staffed at many police departments. And I suspect we're not going to see. I mean, there's not going to be New Year's parties because everything's closed. But plus, I, you can only have ten people. So I suspect we're not going to see any uh, New Year's roadblocks because I don't think they have the police officers for them. No, nope, we're not going to see much impaired driving enforcement New Year's. We probably won't see much impaired driving New Year's. If you recall, last year, the uh, New Year's basically got canceled the day before Bonnie Henry came out, and she said, "All right, liquor service has to stop at 10. Um, and you can stay until 11 if you're eating food and you can't be with anyone other than your household. And it ruined it for all these bars and restaurants that had planned for New Year's Eve events. So this time they had a few days notice. Well, they didn't. Their food. They didn't really because they haven't shut down the bars and restaurants, but there's a briefing tomorrow at 10 a.m. So. So it could be the same gig. Could be the same gig. Could be um, some type of restrictions on liquor service, I think. Um but again, you know, we'll see reminders for people not to go out. And when it's snowy and cold, who wants to go out anyway? That's true. So um, driving, this is our year-end wrap-up. Year-end wrap-up. And I thought... We had a lot of good driving stories this year. There was so much. I mean, we had well, um, the province uh, interprovincial highways being shut down for the purposes of COVID 
and keeping people from going outside their home communities. We, 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 had, we had highways being shut down because of climate change. We had forest fires that led uh-huh. to highways being shut down. Uh, we've never had that before. In my time in BC, the first time we had travel restrictions ever was COVID. And then we ended up with travel restrictions from forest Twice. fires. And then we ended up with travel Twice. restrictions as a result of our roads being destroyed yeah. in uh, because of a series of storms. Big and year. it's fascinating that, that this is all happening at the same time. And there's probably conspiracy people out there who are thinking, oh, yeah, COVID was just a setup to try and close the highways with the forest fires. Yeah, but you know what? <coughs> they're, they're closing in on it because Jelan Maxwell was just convicted. So that's the first domino to topple. There you go. <laughs> These two things are not related. Jelan yeah. Maxwell was convicted because a jury believed that she was guilty. Climate change has nothing to do with her. Exactly. <laughs> Um, COVID also, nothing to do with it. And we also can have bad forest fires in BC and floods without climate change. We know climate change is happening, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be the reason specifically that it is this time and this bad. There have been historically bad times like that, but nobody lived on those floodplains and there was no Coca-Cola Highway 40 years ago. So I thought since it's the end of the year, what we could do rather than having a full podcast because we don't need to make our listeners listen to us for that long. I thought we could reflect on what each of us think were some of the most important driving law related decisions of the year. Oh, I can tell you mine is is the bro decision from the Quebec court of appeal. Now going to the Supreme court of Canada. Yeah. And the Supreme court of Canada is going to affirm it. You think I'm confident of that. Okay. Uh, because the whole system of mandatory demands and the whole ASD demand procedure and the IRP scheme, which they've already said is okay, is predicated on this issue. So Bro right, is issued. Bro is in Quebec. Are they going to hear about the IRP scheme? Oh, I think they. I mean, they've already heard cases about that. Look, I mean, it's fascinating that ASD-related cases end up getting to the Supreme Court of Canada with some sort of regularity. Um, in the Bro decision, it was what, 26th of March, it was released, I think. And it was a five panel decision of the Quebec Court of Appeal. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the decision basically was overturning their previous decisions, which had been followed in Alberta and a few other places, but not really in BC that said that they could delay to take an approved screening device test. So the roadside breath test, um, the previous cases said you could delay so long as it was kind of reasonable, although the uh, the criminal code said forthwith in that version of the criminal code, and then the French one it said immediatement, immediatement, and it still says immediatement. Yeah. So the um, Quebec Court of Appeal reversed itself because in previous decisions it had sort of let it open for um, for the police to delay, provided uh, you know it was not an unreasonable delay, and it was sort of to facilitate taking the test, but that's not what the criminal code said. Um, And um, they had sort of misinterpreted some Supreme Court of Canada decisions. And the case was very clear in the end. It said that the only reason you can delay taking an approved screening device test is to ensure that you're taking a reliable test. Yeah, but don't you think, like, aren't you concerned Mm -hmm. that they gave leave because 
they're ready to overturn themselves? I don't think so. I think they want to, uh, I think they want to look at it and say, look, this has got to be right across the country. And the criminal code was even amended to say immediate uh, instead of forthwith. I mean, I guess it's and a way. It's, and it's already a charter violation and yeah. they don't want to exacerbate the charter violation. So I'm, I'm, I, again, I'll bet you another hundred bucks. Um, I don't know that you're willing to take that bet, but I bet another hundred dollars that the, uh, Supreme Court of Canada just affirms it. Well, I'm not betting against the law going the way I want it to go. Sorry. Um, but the, the, I guess it is possible that they're agreeing to hear this case in part to get ahead of the eventuality of them hearing some of the C-46 changes in the sense that um, when we did the IRP challenges, and they heard Sivia, but they also heard Wilson at the same time. A lot of people theorized that part of the reason they gave leave to Wilson was so that they could look at version two of the scheme and do what they ended up doing, point to Wilson and go, look, you can create a scheme with a more robust review process. You've already done it. So constitutionally, um, we can answer the question basically forever. So you're suggesting they're playing games. No, I think they're instead trying... of actually dealing with the case before them, they're trying to anticipate some other. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't call that playing games. I think it's probably making a smart use of court time. Yeah, I think it's playing games. I think courts should deal with what's there in front of them, and they shouldn't be anticipating all that. But that could be. Um, and of course, you know, immediate's immediate, and forthwith was already interpreted to mean immediate by various other levels of court, and. You know, when I look at it, um, the Bro decision is really just affirming uh, what the Supreme Court of Canada has said in previous cases. Okay. Yes, these are the circumstances that you can delay it. You can't delay it to get an ASD there because the person's charter rights are being violated the entire time. All right. Well, here's my top case of 2021. Goldson from the Alberta Court of Appeal. Well, this is uh, interpretations of the changes to the criminal code that came into effect December 2018, and now we're starting to see them. Yes, but Goldson has had Goldson has had national impact. It has changed the landscape of how the Crown has had to prove the impaired driving offenses since it was released. It's received treatment by provincial courts in other provinces who have universally followed it. It's been applied in BC. It's been applied in BC, as we saw in Campbell River. Um, and uh, it's made my life a lot easier because now I can look at my file and go, you didn't disclose this thing in a reasonable time frame. I asked for it in my initial charter disclosure. What gives you can no longer succeed on this over 80 count? You better explain it a little bit, Kyla. So those people who haven't been listening to the podcast... Goldson uh, is dealing with a change to the criminal code about the presumption in relation to the breath sample. So previously, um, the Crown would get the benefit of the presumption of accuracy uh, if certain conditions were met. Those were changed for the purposes of limiting the disclosure that an accused person is entitled to, but also articulating what specifically must be included in a certificate of qualified technician. And then outlining a disclosure scheme that includes the information the accused is entitled to. So one of the things that has to be listed in the Certificate of Qualified Technician, that's the certificate with your breath test readings, is that the uh, um, approved instrument 
was operated and checked for its calibration using an alcohol standard that had been deemed suitable for use by an analyst. So it's like in the case of conducting an experiment, you have a standard. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a standard that's got to be tested and you've got to prove that it's easy way to explain it. If you've taken a COVID-19 rapid test at all recently, or you've seen a picture of them on the internet, you know, there's a little cartridge and the cartridge has C and T. And you only want the C line to light up. You don't want the T line to light up because that means you're positive. And you're thinking C isn't that for COVID, but no, C is for control. So you sh- if it doesn't light up, that's a problem. That means that your test was defective. That it failed in somehow. Yes. So this is essentially the C. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gross oversimplification and maybe a fudging of the science a little bit, but that's how you should understand it. It's a control to make sure it's working correctly and it's measuring correctly. So you're entitled to, under the criminal code, among the pieces of disclosure you get, a certificate of an analyst stating that the alcohol standard was suitable for use with the approved instrument. That it was tested and that they found yeah. that it met the parameters of their tests for yeah. the purpose of being used. What happens is an analyst at the lab in Surrey goes and gets a shipment of a like basically a pallet of bottles of standard. And they just randomly select 10 of them, test them, and make sure they all produce the same result within an acceptable margin of error. And if they do, then it's all good. And they produce a certificate. And the certificate goes off to the various different RCMP detachments. Yes. So the certificate of analyst that they produce and that they, they deal with for this, that certificate, originally the law was being interpreted in such a way where the Crown didn't actually have to file it. All they had to do was have it written on the certificate of qualified technician, the breath test reading result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was certified by an analyst. But obviously that's hearsay. And so the evidence that it was certified by an analyst, which was a precondition to the sample's accuracy in court, came from that certificate. And so the question was whether or not the prosecution had to file that certificate in court and also provide reasonable notice to the accused. Um, that they were going to do so in order to avail themselves of the presumption of accuracy. And Goldson at the Alberta Court of the Queen's Bench said, meh, no. But the Alberta Court of Appeals like, what the fuck? No, this is like literally one of the only things that they get. It's not that hard. It's a piece of paper prosecution. You can literally just put a piece of paper in front of the judge. I mean, the frightening thing for me is that these are all sidesteps to take away the potential to question the reliability of the sample Mm -hmm. and none of them address the actual concerns with the reliability of the sample which is the instrument and so it's trying to appease you by not giving you what you actually could use and need yep and so they created a procedure and all you have is the procedure um and you know we will never have the resources to be able to challenge the rest so there's the procedure, and the procedure exists. And Goldson says, yeah, you got to follow the procedure. What, what I find appalling about the whole thing is the prosecution's literal argument every time on, you know, you should have to file this document or you should have to prove this fact at trial is, A, no, the law was changed to make it easier for us to prosecute impaired drivers, so we shouldn't have to do a very simple step that doesn't take much work at all in order to prosecute somebody and give them a mandatory criminal record and a mandatory one-year driving prohibition and a mandatory fine, we should, uh, that's too hard. 
And B, their second argument about it is, but also, like, trust us. The readings are always correct. Yes. Um, Those are the two arguments that they make in those circumstances. And it's really so frightening. Yeah. It's really so frightening. (laughs) And I mean, especially from our perspective. Healthy dose of cynicism over here. We've seen so many cases of, of unreliable samples for so many different reasons from instrument malfunction, not diagnosed, to uh, problems with the standard, standard leaking, uh, you know, you name it. We've seen it. And yet, you know, if they produce those documents, they get the presumption that it's all good and mm-hmm. we don't even get to question it. And then they don't even want to produce the documents. And they say, it's too hard. We have to fax them. We have to send the document to them somehow. Well, they can't fax it. They can't fax it. That's true. <laughs> That's true. There are there are some hurdles, but they're really not that difficult to no, overcome. No, they're not hard. They're not difficult to overcome. In any event, the uh, the Alberta Court of Appeal rendered the decision, the right decision, in my view, that yep. uh, the uh, they have to be served, they have to be properly served, and uh, there's been decisions since you argued one where they've got to be properly served with enough time for you to be able to actually do something with them. Yep. Um, so there's a there's a a not fixed timeline but i think right now we would say 45 days is not enough um you might be able to say 60 days is not enough uh probably you could uh make that argument because you have to be able to do something too and it shouldn't you shouldn't be forced into a position of having to adjourn but in any event yeah that's a good decision i don't know how it's going to go at the supreme court of canada but if the crown prosecutors continue to make the the two-point argument that you just made, which is what it seems they're making, uh, I'm not optimistic for them. And the Supreme Court of Canada, I like to think, I don't know who's arguing this, uh, you know, from Alberta, um, the Canadian Impaired Driving Lawyers Association might want to get involved. The Supreme Court of Canada, um, I would like to think, would say, look, you've taken away every other protection if for disclosure. You won't disclose even maintenance records or anything of the instrument. You can't find out if the if the instrument the person blew into had a, a catastrophic malfunction the next day, mm-hmm. you can't find that out. Mm-hmm. It had one the week before and then the one the next day. You can't find that out. Um, the uh, I, I would hope that at a bare minimum they're going to do this. They're going to you know allow these protections. We'll have to wait and see. For both of these cases, um, the Bro decision and. Uh, and Goldson are going to end up ultimately affecting the legislation that was passed by Jody Wilson-Raybould. Yep. Um, the other case that I think was important <clears throat> this year was our case. Yes. Well, that was we weren't the only ones. Other people argued that, too. Other but we people were, were out there, yeah. We, we, we of... did not succeed at the Supreme Court of Canada, and I think it's a huge problem. So yeah. you back up um, to... Uh, 2008, um, there was a change to impaired driving law, and the question came into effect, it was under Stephen Harper, came into effect July 2nd, 2008, and the question was whether or not you could call evidence to rebut the reading, so it was the innocence defense was taken away, and um, the question was, was it taken away for people who were charged or investigated prior to that date and whether or not there was retroactive application of this taking away the defense. And it's, we've talked about this before. It was ridiculous. It's embarrassing to the justice system that there was courts going differently all the way across the country 
And as far as I'm concerned, any court that didn't um, view this as a taking away of rights that should not happen, um, and uh, is it was just suggesting to the public that they're not approaching this um, fairly. But in any event, the um, the uh, issue there was whether or not it retroactively applied. And so then we had changes. Of course, it went to the Supreme Court of Canada, and the Supreme Court of Canada said, no, can't retroactively apply because it takes away legitimate defenses that you had and the evidence that you would collect and so forth. Um, and they came up with some sort of rationale, but it's all kind of ridiculous in my mind. But in any event, um, the uh, then comes along this new legislation, um, and the new legislation, yeah, and the new legislation rewrites the criminal code, says we revoke all of these previous presumptions, and then we've got all of these new presumptions, and the previous ones are canceled. It says everything that existed up till that day is canceled. And so we're looking at it saying, and, and, and no longer in effect. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at it and saying, well, it's no longer in effect. They can't rely on any of these presumptions in the case of the trial that we are is before us, that we're, we're running. Um, because it happened before, and the trial is happening after the change to the law, and the and Parliament it is supreme, and Parliament gone. says the law is revoked and cancelled and non-existent. And so we argued that, and we lost everywhere, all the way up. Uh, yeah. We went to uh, sought leave to the Supreme Court of Canada, and we lost there too. Boo. And they didn't give us leave. And Boo. you know they could have decided that they didn't want to give us leave uh, because the uh, because it was already uh, enough years past, and it wasn't really a live issue anymore. There wasn't many cases of it. But, but case number four in the most important cases of the year. Yeah, the Alberta Court of Appeal granted leave to appeal in a case where somebody made the same argument, and the Crown opposed. So for the Alberta Court of Appeal, you had to seek leave. Yeah, um, the Crown opposed leave on the basis of exactly that. This has been decided. The BC Court of Appeal decided it in Pawson. The Supreme Court of Canada is likely to deny leave and did deny leave in the end. And um, there's not that many cases left. So who cares? And the Alberta Court of Appeal is like, actually, this is worthy of consideration. It hasn't been considered in Alberta. There's no evidence that there aren't a lot of cases out there affected by this. There are also people who might be convicted whose convictions hinge on this. And so they have granted leave. So there is another kick at the can coming to the issue. The Alberta Court of Appeal granted leave. Yes. Yes. But, I mean... But if they go the other way, then there's inconsistent law in the provinces, and that's inevitably a trip to the SCC. Well, but it's terrible because we lost at the SCC. We didn't get leave. Well, we didn't lose at the SCC. No, we, didn't we didn't get, get to the leave. SCC. We didn't get there. Um, so I suppose, but that wouldn't affect our client because, you know, his is, is ultimately resolved at this point because they didn't give him leave. I mean, he could apply to reopen it. Well, I suppose he would at that point. I mean, if I was the, uh, if I was the, uh, um, attorney general, I would not want somebody who had the precise facts who sought leave and didn't get leave to end up with a conviction they shouldn't have. That's the thing. Yeah. If the law didn't exist, how can a conviction exist under that law? 
Well, lots of laws have been struck down, found unconstitutional, and people have been convicted. And years later, it's too late. They've been, right. you know, they have their but conviction. Being struck down and found unconstitutional means the law existed, but it was just bad. But if the law never existed... Yeah, well, was, yeah, I guess if they decided that the law never existed, they'd have a problem. Um, but, I mean, they'd have a huge procedural, we would have a procedural nightmare to get to that point. Oh boy, I love a procedural nightmare. So, I guess this is a glimpse into what 2022 has in store for us. The oh Grow case at the Supreme Court of Canada, what the Alberta Court of Appeal does with respect to the survivability of the presumptions, whether Goldson is uh, given leave by the Supreme Court of Canada, and then if it is, what they say about it. Well, all of these things could be resolved in 2022. Yeah. They could all have hearings and have decisions in 2022. Wouldn't it be funny if we're in the same time next year, reminiscing on the most important driving law cases of the year for our last 2022 podcast, and we actually have the same four cases, kind of? Oh, my goodness. I'm hoping that we've moved beyond some of these issues. Yeah, I, I think we I, will. I, I'm, I'm confident about what's going to happen in Bro. I have no idea what's happening with the other ones. I guess we'll wait and see. Hopefully it's resolved in 2022. My right. gosh, I am optimistic and hoping that Omicron blows through society, that we all get sick and all get well and have built up immunity, and that's the end of COVID. Maybe that's my 2022 wish. What's your 2022 wish, Kyla? My 2022 wish is more the ridiculous driver of the week. Ridiculous driver of the week. Awesome. And this one, I thought since you started the podcast talking about Vancouverites in the snow, I would talk to you about, and you can find this um, on Twitter. Uh, look for Wes Reagan at 411 Reagan, and maybe we'll tag him when we post the podcast so people can find his tweet. Uh, he tweeted a video of the most Vancouver snow driver to have ever existed. Uh, this video is 50 seconds long, and it is just basically a non-stop 50 seconds of a guy in a Lamborghini. It's not a Lamborghini. I think it's a McLaren. Okay. He says it's a Lamborghini, but I think it's a McLaren. I think a Lamborghini is a four-wheel drive. Yeah, actually, it is a McLaren. Yeah, but oh. he's going... No, up. it's a Lamborghini. Is it? Yeah. Anyways, anyway, it's going matter. up and down the street at about, <laughs> <laughs> about 10 kilometers an hour. No snow tires is not. And this is on the day that we had about two inches of snow. Yeah, there's like barely any an snow. An inch and a half of snow. And he can't get anywhere. Apparently he was also wearing flip-flops. Yes. So really, really ready for this winter weather. Well, and then he got somebody in a uh, with a Range Rover or something to, to yes. give him a tow. And I kept thinking after that, where is he going to I think go? it was a G-Wagon, actually. Oh, is it a it's G-Wagon? It's a G-Wagon. Yeah, somebody said G-Wagon. Actually, you know what? I don't think it is. It's uh, I think it's a, a Jeep. Yeah, it's not a G-Wagon. That's a Jeep Wrangler. So somebody is that a luxury a... Jeep? No, it's not. I mean, this, this description isn't perfect here, right? I still don't think that's a Are you a, sure that's a not a G-Wagon? Now that's a Jeep Wrangler. So somebody in a Jeep Wrangler pulling him. But where's he going to go after that? Like just because you get out of your 
driveway. off your street, <laughs> off your driveway. Where are you going to go? Like, you know, the major roads were also had like snow on them. You can't turn off a road. You can't turn into a parking lot. You can't, you know, was he <laughs> planning on going to Canadian Tire to buy some high-end performance snow tires Somebody for his McLaren to, or Lamborghini or whatever it is? He's probably going to go wait in the COVID line. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, did you see that uh, the uh, uh, Burnaby RCMP ticketed somebody yes. for a cell phone oh. in the COVID line? Oh, I could not so believe it. That's ridiculous law enforcement of That's the week. That's ridiculous and law maybe enforcement maybe ridiculous law yeah. enforcement of the year. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, like, we're, we're not even talking about somebody who was... Like using it dangerously. I offered on Twitter to represent this person pro bono and didn't hear back. Never heard yeah, back. Half yeah, the time you, when you offer that on these news stories, you end up doing it and it quietly goes away for the person. But I would be able to make this quietly go away because sure it's could. embarrassing. That like, is okay, just look. For the yes, you cannot use your phone if you're in your car and you're not pulled to the side of the road out of the way of traffic and parked. But she was in a COVID lineup line separated by cones from the rest of the roadway it wasn't a driving lane and you're there for hours and it's not like you're waiting to all suddenly have to go go speed up no. it's ridiculous that you could a not car use in your... front of you goes if you have never been through a drive-through covid test the car in front of you goes and you wait until they signal you to pull <coughs> into the little tent yeah and everybody behind you moves forward only when you do so it's literally like one movement every 10 minutes and she wasn't even doing that like she wasn't hand on her phone texting or anything like that she had her phone in her hand talking on speaker to her brother yeah. <coughs> so ridiculous absolutely i mean it just makes law enforcement look bad it's an, an embarrassment to law enforcement it's a cheap shot ticket and it's also like what do you do you went out there to the covid line to look for people on their cell phones like what kind of a douchebag are you that you don't have i shouldn't say that if this officer listens to the podcast he's never going to make a deal with me again mm. but honestly like you have nothing better to do there's no other distracted driving enforcement that you could possibly do that day well, and the other thing is you're risking your life the people in the covid tent are all like ppe'd up and here yeah. you are I'm going to take this person's with my, driver's with license. my cloth mask yeah. that's not effective against Omicron. Yeah. <laughs> and this person may have COVID and may be very symptomatic. I have no idea. Then you're going to get close to them. You're going to touch the same things as them. It's insane. You're putting yourself at risk. And then because of now what we know about Omicron, if you get infected, your your incubation period is like 48 day, hours, 48 hours, and you're infectious before you show symptoms. Well, I mean, all the other versions of COVID were like that. It's just that you, for whatever reason, you you infect that many more people too. Yeah. Um, and and all to give a cell phone ticket. All I have to say oh, is, wow. Boo. Yeah. Bad move, officer. Anyway, not a great thing to do at the end of the year. Um, no. So year end wrap up. Thanks a lot, no. Carla. I've enjoyed. Uh, being your number one uh, co-host and uh, guest on the uh, Driving Law Pod, and uh, look forward to doing more this next year. Yes, and uh, if you need to reach us in the new year, in 2022, with a driving law-related issue, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com, or give us a call, 604-685-8889, and tune in next week and next year for another exciting episode of Driving Law.